Welcome to the Amsterdam Comedy Podcast. I'm Jonathan. I'm Greg. And this week's guest is, finally, Glenn Wool. Why'd you say finally? Oh, because we recorded this a while ago Well, now. how long is a while ago? Uh, a couple years. A couple years. Really? Jonathan. It's been like two years since We've we recorded this? had this one. This is a great interview. And for reasons unknown, uh, we're only getting around to releasing it now. Why do you think Glenn's going to be pissed at us? Oh, uh, he's past that. <laughs> uh, you know... Uh, you mean he was pissed at us, but he's done with it now. So he, much time has passed yeah. that the bitterness has just ebbed away. Yeah, I, I think so. He was a bitter dude. Uh, and one of the comedians who, like Tom Rhodes, one of our earliest guests, yeah, uh, is perennially traveling. Um, so, in fact, part of Glenwell's act for a while is he has no fixed address. He has no fixed address, no. Uh, since then, uh, since this interview, he has settle down a little bit and uh he's he's found love maybe you got a girlfriend i think at this point yeah. anyway so what, uh, what does he look like glenn wool is oh let's call him a, a thinking man's axel rose i think he, he kind of looks like one too doesn't he yeah and, and let's be honest the way that he looks has caused him some issues Holy suck. now my only houses in life are airport security Border guards and customs agents, which would be a good only problem to have if I look normal, but I don't. I look like this. So I'm constantly being fucked with at the borders. And that bothers me because I've been a comedian for 19 years now, and it used to be relatively easy to get across borders, and then 9-11 happened, and it got like really hard, especially for people who look like me, which I don't understand because I don't remember a Leonard Skinner cover band having anything to do with the actions of that. But I'm constantly fucked with at the border. And I gotta tell them on my forum that I'm a comedian, which no border guard ever in the history of time has ever been able to deal with maturely. So I was like, oh, comedian! I once had a border guard look me straight in the eye once, go, comedian. Yeah, what do your parents think of that? What do my parents think of me? What do your parents think of you, you pretend cop? <laughs> like, as a comedian, I travel the whole damn world making people laugh. That's one of the most difficult jobs on the planet. I know people who went to Oxford who can't do this job. <laughs> a border guard, however. Goes to bed every night knowing no matter how good they get at their job, a dog will always be better. <laughs> I've had him tell me jokes before. That's creepy. When you find out what makes border guards laugh, like I was coming into England and the border guard's like, you're a comedian, right? Here's one for you. What? It's the only good thing about pedophile. <laughs> no, I was like, I don't know, sir. And he said, you can be sure when they drive past schools, they will always respect the speed limit. <laughs> Followed it up with, you can use that. <laughs> How the hell would I crowbar that joke into my act? <laughs> Glenn Wool. So you you were actually touring with him, weren't you, Greg? You brought him over to the Netherlands, yeah, didn't you? Yeah, the, the, the Greg Shapiro Presents tour. <laughs> that ill-fated project. What do you mean ill-fated? What I, happened? I, I was 
busy picking my favorite comedians for a while to come tour the Netherlands with me. And, uh, you know. <laughs> what went wrong? Uh, at some point, I was beaten. Uh, beaten? Who in, beat? in the market by bigger players. Oh, uh, There's just see. too much competition, and no one really wanted what I was selling. But that's how the Amsterdam Comedy Podcast was born. So thank goodness. But anyway, um, yeah, Glenn Will and I had a wonderful uh, 10 days or something touring all over the Netherlands. And he is uh, so fun. He, uh, indeed, he, he is a singer. <laughs> really? Well, he doesn't sing a lot on stage, but man, he just loves doing car, carpool, just car karaoke, yeah. uh, especially after uh, a gig. Uh, there's a wonderful um, uh, interview on video that I did with him, so uh, you can actually go, and I'll give you the link uh, at the end. Of, or, You'll put the link. You know what we'll yeah. do is we'll put the link on uh, on our Facebook page, yeah. Yeah. and we'll also put include it in the information, you know, like when you download the show for the podcast, there's a whole bunch of information with it, including a bunch of links. Well, we'll put that link there with it. There you go. I mean, and yeah, you got to watch the video. He's very charming in the video as well. He, um, you know, You'll find out. <laughs> Maybe I'll, I'll give a little teaser here. Why he was walking with uh, crutches, or and then just one crutch uh, for much of this tour. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, he limped to this interview. Right. Yeah, he was not a happy dude at that point. But um, a bit, bit of background: uh, Glenn Wool is uh, he, he's a journeyman comedian. I mean, he's he's been doing it forever. Uh, he's from Canada. Uh, from specifically uh, the Yukon and uh, Vancouver. Yes, as one is, as one <laughs> tends to be from. Right. And then also he talks about in this interview, now that we're setting it up, he talks about like the commonality between Genghis Khan and Mickey Rooney. Right. Get ready for that. <laughs> and plus, uh, Glenn Wool, turns out his dad uh, was uh, the guy who caught the subsequently to be explained British politician turned author... Uh, and at that point, criminal, <laughs> Jeffrey Archer. Which is where the interview starts. He was using a thing called Aquablast. It was, uh, it was a building cleaning. It was supposed to be an environmental thing, and he was really selling the British government on it. Yeah. And my dad investigated it and huh. realized that Jeffrey Archer actually owned the company. <laughs> so... Huh. Well, when yeah. he got uh, investigated, uh, then uh, Jeffrey Archer had to resign. But he liked my dad so much that, like I say, he based he based the there, there's a police officer in his first book, and it's based on my dad. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Well, and I didn't know any of that until I moved to England, and my I was just on the phone with my dad, and he's like, "Oh, I see my old buddy Jeffrey's in the news there." And then he told me the whole story. I was like, geez. That's great that you get the backstory. I mean, I have that same relationship, I think, with, with my parents. So many of the stories that I grew up with, I didn't know what was going on at the time. So if I can ask, you know, when your dad was, was uh, in the middle of this uh, uh, police, you know, conflict, I, do I go to the press? Do I not go to the press? You know, uh, yeah. how old were you? I would have been about Five or six years old. Okay. And it was very difficult. It was a very difficult time for our family. I can um, imagine. I, uh, and they do things. Uh, they they do things to try and break your family apart. Uh, like, uh, who's they? Well, whoever's trying to get you to stop doing it. I mean, he are had... Talking, are we talking about uh, dirty cops here? You don't know. But uh, there was a few times where um, they... Uh, like, my dad got a call from... You know, he's like, oh, it's... It's an old friend of yours from high school. She wants you to come down to this hotel and meet her. And he was like, no, that's, that's exactly what they're trying to do. They're trying to get me, uh, you know, they're going to take photographs of me. I mean, there was... Honey trap. Yeah. There yeah, was yeah. one time uh, during the Gustafson Lake trials, uh, the, uh, I would have been a teenager at this point, but my mom was trying to get, wi or, uh, trying to get uh, the internet hooked up to the house uh, and uh, they just kept, like, the people kept coming out. The phone people were like, "I wait, look, we've done everything we can, and we, we can't, we just can't do it. There's something wrong with your phone lines. And my mom just over dinner told my dad, he's like, oh, yeah, they're bugged. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot to tell you about that, but, yeah, they bugged the lines. And, uh, and so I was eating dinner. Now, I was a teenager at the time, and I was like, What? 
wow. <laughs> you know, because I had been using those phone lines for uh, possibly arranging some deals that I made. But, you know, not, uh, I wasn't a dealer, so to speak, but I uh, definitely had been talking to a few over those phone lines. Uh, uh, and wait, brothers and sisters become important now. Uh, were you the oldest? No, I was the youngest. Okay. I've got two older brothers who now are lawyers. <laughs> I'm beginning to see a pattern because there is something verbal going on, right? I mean, these yeah. are these are talky jobs. Uh, yeah. Well, my dad, he he really pisses my brothers off because he always will, uh, whenever they've done something good or they're actually quite good lawyers, but he'll go, Glenn, he was the lawyer. Hey, you guys, you're you're just all right. He he knows what he's doing. He could really have made something of himself in that. <laughs> Oh boy, how how do they feel about your being a stand up comic? Oh, they all oh they all love it. Yeah, it's fine. You know, like uh, I I don't feel like the world has missed out on a lawyer, but uh, <laughs> I I do think uh, a legal brain helps in um, in writing material because you kind of look at it. Uh, you know, you're a good punchline is actually kind of illuminating and hidden, and it's just it's just a different angle on uh, on the situation. You know, so a lot of the times when I think about something, it's not I'm not thinking about the I'm not thinking about it humorously. Just something humorous comes in all the different angles that you think about something. I have to ask before we move on from family stuff here. Did you ever get the talk like? Yeah. When they said, like the Glenn, the <laughs> not everybody can be Don Rickles or whatever. I got John Wayne. Greg, not John everybody Wayne. can be John Wayne. Because not everybody's as funny as John Wayne? No, I got the actor talk. And that's, oh, right. that's the worst if they're like comparing your acting to John Wayne's. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You're about as good of an actor as John Wayne. No, you're not as good. Yeah. No, but you're that's, not as yeah, good. That's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Grandpa, I think I can nail Genghis Khan. Yeah. <laughs> or what was it? Uh, yeah. No, it was Genghis. That was at his worst. Yeah. Like, he's already not a good actor, and then <laughs> they've put some scotch tape on his eyes. Yes. <laughs> so, but but you got a version of... Uh, Did he play Genghis Khan? John Wayne played oh, yeah. Genghis oh, Khan. Yeah. Well, was... we're just going to march into Ulaanbaatar. Yeah. <laughs> I think you <laughs> nailed it, sir. Yeah. The only... Uh, yeah. He's lucky that Mickey Rooney uh, was in Breakfast at Tiffany's because that is officially the most offensive portrayal of an Asian person by a Westerner. But without that, uh, and actually, I would have preferred to see Mickey Rooney in the role of Genghis Khan <laughs> with that character. Apparently, Genghis Khan is the, I think he's had the most children of uh, descendants of anybody on Earth. They've actually found his gene. Into literally hundreds of thousands of people. Yeah. So, wow. That would have made sense to have Mickey Rooney. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Because apparently he had the same track record. (laughs) Oh, right. Oh, yeah, yeah. He was notorious. He slept with everyone that he could get his hands on. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. God, just goes to show you all it takes is to be famous. It doesn't matter what you look like. And if, (laughs) if Mickey Rooney's people are listening to this, just kidding. Yeah, uh, he was a wonderful actor and a legend. <laughs> oh yeah, it just died. Sorry, Mickey. Sorry, but uh, <laughs> but we've been waiting so long to say this. Finally, Rooney's dead. Jeez, <laughs> oh, we could finally shit on him. His libido <laughs> shed shed light on yeah, yeah, his libido. Yeah. Uh, the man was okay, uh, but but well, okay. No, back to um. Uh, uh, the the legal mind. How about that? Yeah. Well, actually, I mean, in in a sense, when you when you say that your legal mind helps you out with your with your work, what do you mean by that? Give me an example. Uh, well, when you write material, uh, like a, you like a joke that I wrote, that's legally <laughs> sound. Uh, yeah. <laughs> do you want to? Do you want to just? Tell it out of context, and then we can pull pull it apart? Yeah, no. No, I'm not telling any jokes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I thought it was interesting, though, that that, that, uh, the the part of your new show, uh, This Road Has Tolls, you talk about karma, you talk about bad things happen to good people, good things happen to bad people. Uh, I felt like uh, that part of the show was drawing on some 
maybe not just observations, but maybe some like personal experience as well. Does that go back to, uh, yeah, what your dad was doing as a, you know, an RCMP crusader or your own experience? <laughs> uh, uh no, no, it was more of a personal experience. It's just because um, it, as this tour has rolled on, I mean, I've been on tour now for five years straight. Um, and uh, the the real thing about it is it's sort of like an athlete. It's the injuries that uh, that start to take their toll. Um, because any any other time you can convalesce in your own home, but uh, and you know you're on your own uh, timeline as to when you can get back. Uh, but if you're just living on the road, like I mean, I'm I've got a twisted ankle right now, and it couldn't have come at a better time because I actually had two weeks um, to uh, to let it heal. But I mean, there's, in one spot, you mean two weeks in one yeah, spot? Yeah, but like uh, just before, if say I twisted my ankle. Uh, a week before that had happened, that would have meant I would have uh, been taking all my bags through the Sydney airport with a twisted ankle, flying to Singapore, taking all my bags just to switch the flight, walking through the Singapore airport, taking that flight to London, four-hour layover. Now, this is with an ankle that's swelling up and swelling down. And then uh, waiting four hours Air in pressure. Heathrow, uh, yeah. and then off to Stavanger, Norway, to start my run there. Um, and then I would have two days there. And then after that, I flew, flew and flew to Oslo, did the gig. Next morning, flew to Bergen, did the gig. Next morning, woke up and flew to Amsterdam over two legs. Uh, so just like with that, with the twisted ankle, you know, like. You're on crutches, so now you got to figure out how to pull your bag around with you. You know, Let, let's take that back one step. How long have you been on tour? Five years. And my understanding is you have no fixed home. No fixed home. So when did that idea strike you? I mean, did this happen on purpose or did it happen by accident? Uh, it's a little bit of everything. I mean, I got divorced five years ago because uh, I had a house. I, I owned a home in London, England, um, you know, which is one of the hardest things to achieve, really. It's not, it's not a simple endeavor. Now, I had a very organized wife at the time who uh, certainly helped with all that, but... Um, sadly that relationship ended and uh then i just decided i was going to take well, i was initially going to move to barcelona i really always dug that place um but then i ended up getting signed to a big agency in america and they said you should uh you should come to los angeles and uh, you know this is where we're making stars out here um so I went there uh, and tried to fit in. I bought a car, and uh, then I got these Australian, this Australian festivals to go to, and then that kept getting that tour get kept lengthened and lengthened. Like they just wanted me to stay more and more until it moved into the time where I was supposed to be back in England to start my European tour. So. The time I was supposed to be in America, I mean, I really didn't like it. I, I mean, I, you guys are wonderful humans, but your country's a shithole. <laughs> <laughs> I believe the line of your show is, yeah, you've, uh, uh, you arrived in L.A. What, post-divorce. Yeah, bloated, <laughs> depressed. You were, you were in the good frame of mind for that, too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And, I mean, L.A. is, yeah, I don't live there. I, I, I don't no. go there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that LA is totally not for everyone. That's yeah. for sure. I, no. wouldn't, I wouldn't ever want to live there. No, I, I really couldn't get my head but, around. But what it. was your problem? You arrived in LA, and then what happened? There's nothing to do. Did you signed for something? Yeah, I they were going to do what? Uh, well, you know, they they tried. You know, I went to I went to auditions, and I mean, it worked out to an extent. I mean, I ended up making a television show or a television show pilot for the History Channel, and I got really, really close. Um, you know, they said the the, the network loved it, uh, and they they like you should have I should have known it wasn't going to go through for how much they glowed. Like they were like, we've never we've never seen them this happy. Huh. You're, I think you're going to move to Los Angeles, son. And then two weeks later, wow. 
And nope. It, <laughs> what the, the show, the format you were mentioning the other day. Uh, I don't know how much we can talk about the format. Oh, and stuff, okay. But, um, but I mean, you were interviewing people. You weren't just being a comedian. No, no. Yeah, it was. It would have been a good show. Yeah, uh, and I think. I think there's other shows like it coming out. So um, right, yeah, yeah. You know, you never know. So they still have the they still have the pilot. It still <laughs> could get. Uh, so wait a second. Are you trying to tell me that in L.A. some people told you something was really really great, but they didn't mean it? Yeah, I think I was the first one to ever have that ha. treatment in Los Angeles. They, I I know I've, I've talked to all my friends in L.A. and they they were mouth agape. What? <laughs> wow. There's certainly some sort of uh, tribunal you could go see. <laughs> I can't just tell you things that aren't true, Glenn. And what was the shitholiest part of it? Van Eyes. Ah. Oh, right. <laughs> actually, answer. Van Eyes was actually quite charming, but I ended up, because I was never staying there long enough, uh, and before I figured out about B Airbnb, uh, I was staying in this... Like it was a long-term hotel that had a kitchenette, which I liked. Um, but it was the most reasonable prices in LA, so much so that um, prostitutes from Craigslist were also using the hotel. Well, they were actually, they were strippers at the strip club down the road who were moonlighting with a little uh, prostitution. So um, there would be a small, oh, a strong smell of crack. Uh, quite often in the, in the, uh, and it would, but it, it was such, they were smoking so much crack. It wasn't one of those, um, places that, like, it wasn't an enclosed hotel. It was like all outdoor rooms, you know, there was no hallways, you know, it's all sort of around a pool and yeah. you could still uh, yeah. smell the crack. Okay. Like, even the atmosphere was actually keeping the crack smell in. <laughs> so, and I was uh, with my girlfriend at the time, and it's always embarrassing. Like, I don't care if I'm staying in a really sort of sleazy place. I, you know, I like, I know I can, I can protect myself and handle myself. But when I've brought another human into that, like, right. like, so. And you're not even be, talking about kids yet. <laughs> no, no, just another person. You, you're yes. kind of embarrassed, you know, where your life is. Yeah. You know, you're like, yeah. oh, we're going to make it, honey. We just got to stay in the hooker crack hotel. <laughs> uh, so we'd be watching TV, at, you know, like two or three in the morning. And uh, someone so dumb that they couldn't tell what numbers on doors meant would come and knock on our door looking yeah. for their hooker that they've booked uh, online. And uh, we'd have to go up to the door at three in the morning. Like, I don't know who we thought it was going to be. Like, oh, is this Hollywood? Are we going to make, <laughs> we're going to make this. Is that you, David Geffen? <laughs> uh, and then, you know, like that sort of, <laughs> that sort of positivity, you'd look through the fisheye yeah. hole and uh, you'd see a very, very ugly, dumb man. <laughs> you know, not aided by the fish, the walleye effect of the pinhole. And you just have to go, other room. What? <laughs> Other room, you jackass. Oh, oh. That's a seven. So huh? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, Jonathan, you asked your question. What uh, What was it that made Los Angeles rather unattractive for Glenn Wool? And I think that is a pretty good I, sum up. I, I think he has himself to blame a little there. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I think he made some unwise choices uh, in terms of his location, for example. But, but at some point, getting to the <laughs> yeah. bigger picture, you, yeah. you figured L.A. was skippable, um, certainly because more and more of your calendar was being eaten up by either uh, Australia or England. Yeah. yeah. And then, so I'm going to get back to the question uh, of, you know, even when you're in L.A., did you still have, did you still own a property in England? No. Okay, no, so you sold No, when I it. got divorced. No, I got bought oh, out. Oh, yeah, okay. I got bought out of my house right before the property crashed. Oh, okay. <laughs> Good news. Good news. Yeah. I'm sure... I I'm the only one who smiles at that. I think my ex-wife probably <laughs> ruined that property crash. Really? Somebody's got to win. Um, uh, so when was the moment you decided LA's not for me? I'm moving on. Um. Well, it's. I mean, it's still not off the cards. I just. I'm not gonna go. I didn't go back for pilot season this year. I just. Uh, I went to. I did an Asian tour instead, where I went. 
to Cambodia, uh, Indonesia, Malaysia, Singapore. That was all for gigs. And then I took two weeks off and just went and holidayed in Japan. And then after that, I uh, went and did a two-week tour of uh, South Korea. And then I started my Australian tour. And uh, I'll tell you what, um, that was a much wiser decision than one more pilot season in, in L.A., you know. There are so many threads to pull on that what you just said that I don't even know where to begin, such as there are a lot of stand-up fans in Seoul or, you know? Uh, I mean, yeah, well, there's a lot of expats, a lot uh, of English teachers. Uh, it's really actually a smart thing to do because um, uh, it pays very well. And a lot of people are paying off their education by teaching for uh, three to four years in South Korea, teaching English. Um but uh, a lot of people just kind of end up staying there. I mean, it's really cool. It's a, it's a funky little vibe because it's all college educated, but you know, adults. But it, and they're drunk. They're absolutely <laughs> hammered. Yeah, I have never seen people like because I don't think English teaching English challenges them very much, and I think a lot of them are. Quite, you know, it doesn't have, it just has to be a university degree. So that wow. a lot of them are not using their university uh, degree and they're just showing up. It's burping. like Girls Gone Wild, but not just spring break. They're burping whiskey on these little Korean kids. Wow. <laughs> I'm so glad that's the impression that, that that's yeah America now uh, to a lot of kids learning English all over yeah. the globe. Yeah, America smells like my uncle. <laughs> <laughs> Where's the weirdest place you ever went to do stand-up? Uh, it was uh, uh, Balakpapan in um, Indonesia. And we got, uh, like, just to go there, this is when um, the, because uh, you, you used to go do Jakarta, and then they're like, look, there is now, like, even more of an expat outpost, and we want to go do a show there. We don't know how it's going to go, yeah, but we're going to do it. And because uh, we had to go through so many um, different checkpoints and stuff, they decided to hire uh, a local mobster that would just, it was cheaper to pay him than to pay all the bribes that you would have had to. There we go. And your so, dad knows the guy, maybe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's, he wrote a book and in it, my dad played the kingfish. Uh, very hallucinatory. But this is book. like on an island in one in of the- In Indonesia. It's, a, in, it's one of the, uh, yeah, it's like, a, it's like a city sort of. But it's, it's off the town. main island or whatever. You, yeah, you, well, you Indonesia it. is an archipelago. Many, many islands. This yes. is one of the islands that you go to. So. And when you say check, points i mean is it flying yeah we had to fly the point? there and we had to fly there of course, so, so then, we okay. uh we we go to the uh international airport mm -hmm. in jakarta with his name is it it was something weird like the duke or the drake but that's what he wanted to be called but he was he didn't speak english very well but he was yeah i uh, you know the duke the duke nice so i was like all right man that's the duke uh and he was heavy man like he oh, was not talking about john wayne right <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> i had to have the talk with him <laughs> so heavy yeah like he was connected because we walked okay. in to um uh we walked into the international airport and uh we're standing in line to uh have our passports checked he walks all the way like just through the security and nobody stops him like he just doesn't get in the line or anything walks through a machine it blinks they don't stop him he just waits on the other side for us and air like it was like i was with a ghost like everybody like just purposely didn't look at this dude who's walked through an international security system they all knew like the people working in the airport knew who he was wow so we wait, we wait, we're at the door and I'm like, geez, this is a little kind of crazy. Uh, so we get on the plane. Uh, he doesn't have a ticket, <laughs> but he still hasn't been stopped. He just walks on the plane, full plane. So now he's standing at the back with all the stewards and stewardesses just going to stand there. Like it's an hour flight, so it's not that big of a deal, but still nobody's like, sir, you have to buy tickets for airplanes. Or you no. have to sit down and buckle up or exactly. nothing. Exactly. So we start we start taxiing for to take off and the 
skies open up and it is raining. It's like that Indonesian tropical rainstorm. The captain gets over the loudspeaker. He's like, well, we're going to have to wait this out. The, the tower says it'll probably be about half hour, 45 minutes. Don't worry. We'll get you there. You're just going to be a little late. The Duke walks up the aisle of the plane, opens the door to the cockpit. No, that's another one. Opens the door to the cockpit, sticks his head in, says something in Indonesian, closes the door. He's walking down the aisle, and the pilot goes, well, we've been cleared for takeoff. (laughs) Rain. (laughs) We honestly took off in the biggest rainstorm because apparently the Duke had a mistress in Balakpap, and that's the whole reason he was coming. Uh, Sadly, he's not with us anymore. No, I can imagine. How many flights do you have to insist take off in dangerous weather? I know. How How did the Duke die? They, I didn't find out. I, oh, I, asked, okay. I asked about his presence uh, the last time I was there, and the booker of the gig said, "Sadly, the Duke is not with us anymore." And that's it. it was like it was a way of saying, "Don't ask about the Duke." Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, the, the Duke got rubbed out. It yeah. Sounds like, yeah. Wow. Oh, Christ, that's amazing. So that's and then, the, yeah, we had to go to the gig. At this point, the Duke has taken a shine to me. (laughs) I don't know what I did, but he really, really liked me. And he didn't speak English very well, uh, but he came to the show that night, and I was doing, okay, I missed Cho's material. Like, I was working on this really weird thing about a walrus. It was like a long bit. Ill-chosen for a bunch of oil workers in Balak Papin. Because they know a lot about walruses. In oh, it was it was a bad idea, and you know, I would, I, I, if I could go back, I would just do my regular set. Huh. But I had not, like, I was getting stared at by people. I mean, there's a reason they live all the way in Balakpap, and they've done something wrong in their home countries, and now they're out on the outposts where they send all the people. Like, okay, well. Maybe he'll only do it to a few locals there and we can cover it up. But we can't have him in a mega, you know, he's great with the numbers, but we can't have him around those people. Oh, wow. Uh, So I'm doing a show to all these people and they're just staring holes through me. And I swear every punchline that I hit in the walrus material, the Duke was in the back with his mistress just going, Oh my god. <laughs> so sometimes you're really performing from an for an audience of one. I know. And I I wouldn't be surprised if the duke is always with me now. <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful. <laughs> that day a bit of soul was imparted. Uh <laughs> wow. Yeah. Now, you say that this whole not having a home thing just sort of happened to you rather than being a part of a plan. When was the moment you realized I'm a dude and who does not have a home? I am a homeless person who just travels itinerantly around the world, uh, purveying my trade, but I have no home. When did that, when did you realize that? So when I brought my girlfriend on the road with me, um, sadly, we're not together anymore, but, um, yeah, when you just start to realize I'm not going to get back to London to see her enough and I love her. So, you know what, honey, let's just make this work. And I mean, it did work for a long time because we, the way we justify it, like, um, with, with her flights and uh, things like I usually get my accommodation taken care of. So at that point, her flights just became the rent that we had to make. And we right. know you get, you get good at booking things in, in advance. And you, I mean, you know where you're going to be pretty, pretty far in advance. So, but, I think- but the question was, sorry, dude, but the question was, when did you realize I don't have a home? I'm an itinerant traveler. Uh, it was about a year in a year in like we sold, um, because that car that I bought in L.A. ended up in the long stay at LAX for three months. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I handed over quite a little wedge of cash, and I would just be, <laughs> I'd just be on the road, like, just talking to, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I did Marin's podcast. I was in New York, and that was the closest I'd got to L.A. in a while. I was like... Uh, yeah, looks looks like I might get back and get that car out of Longstay. It is, wow. it is, it is uh, getting quite a charge in there. 
Um, I mean, at what point do you cut and run? <laughs> well, what did you think when you thought, actually, I'm, I'm homeless? What did, what did that mean to you? Um, well, it's not, it's not homeless. The only time it ever bugs you is uh, if you end up, like, really trying to save money on accommodation. Like, I was, I was staying in a hostel in Japan, uh, which was fine. It was at Mount Fuji, but then you're, you're, like, you're sleeping in a room with a bunch of other people, and you're like, I'm 39 years old, right. and I live in a hostel right now. <laughs> like, you know, I can sugarcoat this any way I want, yeah. but this is my roof, and I don't have anywhere else to go. Guy comes knocking on the door at three in the morning. Where's the crack or where's my prostitute? <laughs> yeah, yeah, David like, Geffen again. David Geffen, why? <laughs> but um, you know what? Here's here's a, a little follow-up. I mean, I'm thinking of basic, boring details. Like, it's Christmas, and where does your mom send you the card? Or when you have uh, bank statements. Uh, I don't know. And And... Bank statements are all, I mean, I've got three addresses all over the world that are just mates' houses, like, because banks like to know an address. Um, and yeah. I've got three things. Like, I can use my parents' address, I can use my buddy's address in LA, or uh, my buddy's address in England. But uh, bank statements are all um, paperless. Although every once in a while, I, I go to one of those addresses to pick up my mail and find eight eighty bank statements, and then you go, "Well, I thought I was paperless." No, we took you off that. We thought, right? We thought we'd unclick that for you and start sending you uh, statements again. Like we, you, you wanted that, right? Yeah. No, yeah. no, I didn't want that at all. Yeah. And that's why I'd set that up. Yeah, yeah, you just got to go back in and click it again. Right. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Christmas wise. Uh, I don't do Christmas gigs anymore. That's as soon as I had a bit of um, success, I decided I will not gig in December. It is not worth it. I don't want to feel like I'm that unfunny, you know, because it usually takes all of January to get over what happened in December. So I just thought, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to do it anymore. So I go back and visit my parents in December. Right. It didn't. I just laughed. Was that actually funny? No, it was funny. Yeah, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because there, because there, there, there seemed to be a little hint of bitterness. The what happens in December? Oh, Christmas record. gigs are horrible. Oh, uh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, right. Yeah. Oh, okay. I misunderstood. What is it about Christmas gigs that are horrible? Well, it's office parties, and a lot of the time, uh, people don't want to be there. They just want to be, you know, trying to stick their fingers in their secretaries, and you're uh, you're getting in the way of that. And they're they're drunk, and they're dumb, and they're easily offended, which is never a good. Th- combination <laughs> uh wow i mean the, the idea about being being offended as well um all right let's let, let's go with that theme actually because you're dealing with you know maybe oil riggers you know expat english teachers you're dealing with yeah office party uh, mid-level executives i mean uh, it seems like everywhere you're experiencing these trends of uh uh, well, it's the it's the step up in enjoyment, um, you know, where people think that it's such big news that they're offended by something. But what they're really saying is that they really don't like that person, um, and they want to get them fired. You know, which is it's just this horrible way that humans are now. They should lose their job over that. Like right. it's just not enough that oh, you just didn't. And usually it means they don't find the person attractive. Like that's because once you once you are attracted to somebody, it's pretty hard to be what, offended by them. I don't them. really know right. what you mean. What do you mean? For example? When people uh, get offended uh, at things. Like, like what? At comedy, like jokes, you know, like it's not enough not to like the show anymore. You're like, I'm actually offended. Uh, like I'm going to stand up me, in this me, crowd and like, talk to the manager. Give me a concrete example, because I don't really know what you mean. Like they don't like you because you said something, or do, are they talking about a specific, like uh, a, a specific idea or a concept or a word or a joke or what do you mean? When people get offended, like, and it doesn't have to be stand-up comedy, uh, just any performance that they feel offended by. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, it's it's starting to be the new thing. Like it's not enough not to enjoy it. It's uh, like it's this extra. But and then I was offended. But you see, 
what I mean when when I when I say that is uh, they like there's there's so much more at play there, you know. That ever and, happened to you? Have I ever offended somebody? Well, I'm sure you did, but I mean a memorable moment when you truly truly offended somebody to the point where this became something that you had to deal with uh i offended um well <laughs> i upset i did a corporate once and i usually don't do them but uh it was for a place called money corp <laughs> it was, wow i know they put it right out there and they hung a balloon behind me that said money corp <laughs> and i was just like as Superman ever come and fight you? Like that's the most <laughs> evil sounding <laughs> money corp globo cam. Yeah. <laughs> and money corp. And, yeah. and how'd that joke go down? A uh, round of applause. Uh the uh <laughs> the corporate went so well. I got an encore. Uh and this was a corporate that was supposed to be uh me and Reese Darby from Flight of the Concords fame. Uh, and he had to pull out and it was just replaced by just a guy from Australia. <laughs> 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 yeah. Uh, so this, I mean, these are the odds that were stacked against me. Like they didn't have their big, the big famous guy coming. Uh, so I ended up having to close it and, uh, got an encore, which had a corporate impossible, right, like that's... they're usually horrendously difficult, but. In the end, they wanted to. Um, but I, wait, I thought you the, offended somebody here. When did the offense happen? Uh, because I made fun of the name of the thing, and it was a big party to. So uh, what they say? The Duke was in the back. The Duke was, yeah, in the, yeah. Duke yeah. was like, not in the back, unfortunately. Well, they wanted to. They wanted to withhold uh, the fee because it was, uh, you know, the, the, you know, you broke the first rule of Money Corp. I don't know. <laughs> you hell. mentioned Money Corp. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You don't hang a goddamn balloon that says Money Corp behind the comedian and go, I wonder if he'll notice it. Yeah. I wonder if he'll make jokes. <laughs> Actually, that, that makes oh, me think about it. this episode of Louis. You know, the Louis C.K. series okay. where he's uh, doing a Trump hotel gig in the small room and he starts making Trump jokes. And then he gets upset and sort of storms off because they got upset at him for making Trump jokes. And he runs into Joan Rivers. And Joan Rivers says, what's the matter, Louis? She sees he's upset. And then he explains it all. And she says, what? You made fun of Trump at his own house? What's wrong with you? You don't make fun of the guy who's paying you that night. Next week, when you're playing at the comedy store, you got a brick wall behind you. That's when you make your Trump joke. <laughs> but you don't do it then when you're in his house. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, same thing. Uh, but, but uh, okay, but then you, we're getting to... Not just a one-off experience, but we're getting to this, this, this. I don't know, maybe corporate mindset or easily offended politically well, correct that was, mindset. That, that, I mean, that's that's what I've always said about that when they're talking about now, you know, subject matters and comedy that you're not supposed to talk about or things, you know, things that you're not supposed to say, and uh, you know, comedy will be better for it. And I'm like, there are gigs like that. They're called corporates, and they're horrible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. And now that actually the idea of comedy and topics that you're not supposed to talk about is a topic that comedians like you are talking about, uh, which is, I don't know. Do you find that maybe you are uh, being labeled or, I mean, certainly, yeah, maybe the bookers of corporate gigs or the, yeah. Will they hire you? Yeah. Is this the question? Did they, yeah, no, it, are you too edgy, Glenn Wool? Yeah, I don't get corporates anymore, but I don't like them. Like I always, uh, if I get offered them, I, I quote a ridiculous fee. For exactly. It. Oh, you he, know, he must be really good. That's yeah. the danger. Then they'll be like, "Well, sure, ten grand, we'll pay that." <laughs> ten but, grand, man, I'll do it. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. Then it's like, all right, then this will be a good story. Yeah. Uh, about living the way you do in an itinerant lifestyle, it, an itinerant lifestyle. Do you like it? Are you happy this way? Uh, well, I'm gonna be either moving to Vancouver or London in January. So because you're unhappy with it, or it's enough's enough, or why? Yeah, enough's enough. I can uh, I can settle down for a bit, and uh, like I say, you know, it's it's um, 
it's uh, it it takes a toll on you. You know, you have to you have to be able to rest. And I haven't, um, you know, I, I, the fact that I've done it for as long as I can't, I, as long as I have. I mean, I know other comics that have done it that have uh, ended up in uh, institutionalized uh, for a little bit. And uh, yeah, no, you uh, you know, like it happens. Uh, it's adrenaline. Um, if you never if you never stop your adrenaline uh it will burn out it will burn you out i think yeah i mean yeah and then your ability to 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 heal to recover i mean look we were just talking the other day about what comedians do after a gig um you know and and you were saying uh you watch sports maybe yeah, and yeah. Oh, actually, I, that's therapeutic. I attribute I attribute my longevity in this uh, to um, the fact that I do watch a lot of sports because I turn off everything and just watch something. I'm not I'm not thinking about the gig, and I think a lot of the guys and gals who burn out off heavy tours because you ask them what they do afterwards, and they're like, "Well, I watch uh, watch documentaries and the news." <laughs> I'm like, "Don't." You see, that's <laughs> and yell that's at the television. You, yeah, yeah. You've never actually turned it off. Um, I guess this might be a weird question, but based upon everything that you've just told us about the touring life, um, how are you? Yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. Really? I mean, uh, I got a I got a bad ankle, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's you're not getting right. tired because you you sound tired. To be honest, <laughs> well, my vocal cords tired, are yeah. are tired, but uh, he is overly theatrical. <laughs> <laughs> it's in the review. Yeah. Um, how about this? Um, you know, the 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 touring and the demands of of new content. Uh, obviously, you've got so much to draw on at this point. Now, Edinburgh Festival's coming up, and I mean that's where. You've got critical mass of the critics, and and you got to come up with uh, a new material every year. But no, you're saying a lot of people are doing what every other year, and this well, is I the do best it. Of year. Uh, yeah, I do it every second. I write a new show every second year, so this year it's a best of. I mean, it has its own. It presents its own problems. Um, like I've got to now sit down and figure out which jokes I want to do or, you know, do I want to do it in a retrospective and uh, go, this is why I'm talking about this issue that happened seven years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I it's not, you know. <laughs> no, exactly. It's the best of. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like if you're a political <laughs> comic, you know, so. But, I mean, that's how the, the mind, comedic mind works. There's going to be a red thread. There's going to be something that links it all Maybe, up. but just I don't know what it is. I yet. think he should leave the Condoleezza Rice jokes at home. At ah. this point, well, I thought about <laughs> it. Um, I don't really have American politics jokes per se, but uh, um, <laughs> timeline-wise, um, I thought about it. Yeah, there's there's different ways to go about it, but if I've got a short enough joke that I really like the way it's written... Um, I think it's the best, uh, be- the best way to go. And, you know, I just, I love watching you, uh, this past week, you know, of, of well, we're, we're at the, just over the midway point now of this is week long tour. You've been touring with him. You've uh, been touring with him. And right? we've been touring the Netherlands yeah. and, uh, yeah, I love it that you will, uh, change up your, your, your set. You'll cherry pick, uh, this and that, you know, and, 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 Maybe pick some segues uh, that uh, that tie everything together. And man, on behalf of the audience, like, oh yeah, like we're we're willing to go there. Uh, <laughs> it's it's great. I mean, but um, how about this? Taking a, a step back and actually a look into the like a future. Um, I don't know a year from now, maybe you're going to. Uh, yeah, if you do have an address again, you're coming up with a new uh, theme for a show. I mean. Any idea what what are you going to be writing uh, about a year from now? It's about pride. Um, I already. I mean, I could do the show this year if I wanted to. Yeah, I've got I've got the material. It's just uh, sorting it out. But I've noticed that was the thread. Pride, Uh, pride. Yeah. What What does that mean? Uh, Well, it's uh, when you write a show. um, It's different chunks of material, you know. And then you push it all together, and you go, "What's the uh, what, what? What's the common link with all these jokes?" And uh, it's pride. And like, what? What was the inception of that? What was the inspiration? I don't know. You know, you can't really tell. You, you don't really know why 
jokes happen or why why things occur funny i see too. i see a link i'm sorry i gotta point it out but i mean when you're on stage and people are offended <laughs> i as a comedian when that happens to me i am offended it hurts <laughs> my uh, pride if you will and i mean um is that maybe a little bit of of uh yeah what you mean by uh, by pride uh well um Part of it had to do with, um, I've got a new big bit about um, plastic surgery in South Korea. Oh, I've yeah. All, uh, I've seen an early preview. It's good. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, and then there was uh, a, uh, the other bit I'm working on. I haven't done it uh, here, but I went to the Sydney Mardi Gras with a gay friend of mine. And uh, so, in you know, just to... A, a bit about that and then i started to realize that that's that's got a lot to do with pride too it's uh, funny when you say pride i think well a lot of i people, was thinking that's their, gay pride yeah yeah yeah, 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 first yeah, yeah. Association. well it, it it i mean it's it's in there but then you know uh glenn's a bit of a bear it's true yeah. <laughs> I, well that was one of the things i noticed when i went to the gay pride parade <laughs> i dressed like a lesbian and a gay man <laughs> <laughs> i'll forget i actually discovered the word bear when i was actually googling something on bear and I ended up on a gay bear site and I was like, what's this? <laughs> Honey drenched bear. What? <laughs> <laughs> oh man. <laughs> and there's yeah. a couple other little bits, um, you know, in there, but I think, I think pride will be the, uh, well also the, hubris, you know, when you overdo it and uh, that, yeah, that seems to be a bit of a through line. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's uh it's weird though like you know because it's early days i mean i i it, the show won't be um i mean i'll probably do it in adelaide uh to start off this this time around um instead of i, I debuted it in uh, edinburgh last year or i debuted the new show in edinburgh and i think i'll do it the other way around start it in australia and then um have it a little bit more kicked in by the time it gets to uh edinburgh um well, if you ever want to workshop some bits, then uh, yeah. What are you, what are you offering? <laughs> and if you're what are you passing offering, through uh, Amsterdam, <laughs> yeah, definitely. We love it. We yeah, have gay man. pride here too. Yeah, really. Yeah, I thought and, that was and I gay hubris that, as well. I thought that, that was just your flag. <laughs> uh, 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 yeah, man. Uh, in terms of offense and all that, and taking offense, I mean, it's weird that there was that moment where <laughs> we. We're Americans, but we live in Amsterdam. We live in the Netherlands, and it is, uh, you like have to explain it a little bit. <laughs> but yeah, Dutch people, it seems, indeed are not as easily offended. I mean, sometimes, no. yeah. Yeah. Is that true? No, not at all. They're, um, they're almost offended that you didn't offend them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like, you know, uh, a little edgy. Come on. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, yeah. And yet today, just today, we are doing a daytime gig. On a university campus in Enschede, and uh, which is on the German border. Yeah. Oh, is it? Yeah, that yeah, it makes a lot more sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You are very close to being in Germany today, my friend. Oh, yeah. right. I even know it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I had no idea where I was. I fell asleep twice in the car. <laughs> the easiest hostage in the world. <laughs> hey, put that bag on your head when you wake up. Okay. <laughs> Uh, but I mean, it was great. You started talking about uh, whatever uh, South Africa, and uh, yeah, a woman just chimes in like, "Nope, no, nah, we're not interested." Yeah, <laughs> oh, it's a Pistorius trial. Uh, yeah, because I was going through this old. I was just going through the news. Uh, what was on? It, was, it had to do with another thing, but yeah, I'm like, "Yeah, you got that Pistorius trial," and the woman like, sur like waved it away, like, "Nope, <laughs> nope, we don't care. It's the other side of the world." And I said, but it's, I mean, they speak a dialect of Dutch. Yeah. <laughs> you, you got a current affairs heckle? Is this what it was? <laughs> well, yeah. like, uh, please stop current affairing. Right. <laughs> that yeah. was the, uh, no, no, son, we don't care. Yeah, I, could you please tell more pussy jokes? Yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> we all like that. Yeah. I, I thought this woman was, I thought she was saying, you know, don't go there, or we don't want to talk about that or something, or like, ooh, too, nope, she was just Did you, oh, We never got to the bottom of her heckle? No, Is this well, the problem? She said, yeah, no, that's, uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm not interested in that news item. 
It's like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like this was... is the person who fast forwards the eight o'clock news, I guess. Talk <laughs> about the Malaysian plane. Yeah, yeah. really. <laughs> well, I had just I had just gotten through the Malaysian plane. Oh, well, there you uh, go. And uh, yeah, I think she was worried that it was going to be all news. <laughs> Turn to the entertainment channel, please. Really? And then you ended on Germans and. Then, yeah. yeah, yeah, they were, but I didn't realize it was that close to Germany. <laughs> every yeah. uh, every audience from Eindhoven okay. to uh, to to Utrecht, they've been a little bit different. They respond differently to different parts of the show. Yeah, yeah, it's really hard to, uh, and sometimes uh, you'll get them just to flat out admit the what they didn't know. Like uh, there's a. I've got a joke about horses being made into glue, and you just have to know that that's the uh, the punchline. Is um, you know you have to know that fact that they make horses into glue. And uh, in Holland, uh, it, it's a joke that works all over the world because it's a practice done all over the world. Holland, it seems to be just landing about. 60% of what it gets everywhere else. Because in Holland, horses are made into lasagna. Everyone knows that. Well, that's, al- that's already covered. Yes. That, that's covered uh, earlier exactly. in the bit. Yeah. Uh, but uh, It is weird. I still have no explanation for this. Well, it, but, like, and I, I flat out asked them last night. I was like, did you know that? And there was a couple, nope. So just weird little pockets. I mean, and it's not a dumb society. Yeah. Can I comment that stylistically, in terms of your performance, and I wonder if anybody's ever said this to you, but in terms of your performance, every people, people make mention of the fact that you get really loud and overly dramatic, but I think, I think they're missing out on the soft parts. I think you are the pixie of the comedians. <laughs> you are like the pixies. It's soft, loud, soft, loud, soft, loud. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Have you thank considered you for, that? Has anyone uh, yes, said that to you yet? Yeah, uh, I've realized it, but um, just vocally, uh, um, yeah, I go through the same problems as those band singers do. So. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yes. Yes. I I do try to uh, I do try to have the quiet bits along with um, you know because that it's the uh, it's the change in. Um, it's the change in uh, right. You wouldn't seem tone. loud if you didn't have soft by by contrast. Yeah, yeah, and it, it's also a way to get people to uh, just engage with you more. If you if you're changing, they can't they yeah, can't yeah. get a bead on it. I actually saw Frank Black uh, in um, L.A. He is, and I, it's it's a bit strange. Uh, he is working with uh, he he was working with an improv troupe. Really? And, uh, yeah, it's called Love Buckets, and he came out um, and uh, told a story to the improv troupe right. about growing up in uh, Massachusetts or whatever, yeah. uh, and it was like this long, kind of a weird story. I, I can't, like, okay. it was about a barbecue or something. Yeah. Um, and then they came back and uh, improvised the story uh and then it like they would do a scene and yeah. then Frank Black would come on with um a woman named Kim with the bass guitar that Kim wasn't Hill? no another Kim no i called her buckethead right. <laughs> so close to slash but not actually slash it okay. was it was another woman named Kim that played bass and then they'd play some pixie songs and uh, I enjoyed that more than I enjoyed the improv yeah. section of the show. It, wow. it sounds a little surreal, I have to say. It was, yeah, I mean, I could see where they were going. The only pro, like, it was good. It was good in parts, but <laughs> they had they had done an early and a late show, and I think they were trying to redo what had happened in the early show oh, yeah. so every once in a while somebody would miss a cue or a line and go huh. uh yeah i'm frank black and Matt. shit <laughs> and then try and get back and get back on the track that they uh. were so <laughs> it was yeah it was good it was interesting uh it was interesting to see and a couple of mates of mine are involved in the production but i just remember like getting the call like yeah you got in like small small venue like a hundred seater sort of box box theater back of the back of a wine bar kind of thing where was in LA in LA yeah, Silver yeah. Lake yeah ah, well good for you you saw theater in LA that's that's a unique there's a lot of theater in LA I know just no one goes 
to see it. That's not true. <laughs> okay. I know. There are friends of mine doing wonderful things and uh, yeah, in L.A. But I know it can be difficult, especially in Kif, movies. if you're listening to this, he doesn't know what he's talking about. All right. <laughs> All right. Uh, I have a friend and actor named Kif who's in L.A. I hope so. Theater. Brendan Hunt is out there. <laughs> I hope that so. wasn't just like a, it know. wasn't a random kiff. <laughs> yeah, who might happen to be. This a is theater. all the kiffs out there. <laughs> <laughs> so what's next, man? What's yeah. next for you? Uh, the English tour. Um, is that good? Is that good touring England? You lived in England for a long time. Oh, is it good? Our English audience is good. Uh, best in the world. Yeah, really? Why? Yeah. Uh, they have, As an American, uh, that offends me. So why? <laughs> well, because they wouldn't get offended by a statement that uh, disagreed with it. Maybe that's why they're good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, they have a cynicism that uh, comes from a pure place, uh, and it's uh, <laughs> pure. Pure. Oh, yeah. I know. We in, in the Netherlands, we have cynicism, but we just put it on. It's, it's shitty. It's, it's bullshit cynicism yeah. because they're cynical because they feel like they have to be. Right. Yeah. But, but the British actually are cynical. Oh, you're just being. You're just. <laughs> Being, what's the word? Because it's shitty to be British. <laughs> B- bitter. Cynical. Bitter. Cynical. <laughs> no, but, but seriously, why are the why are the British audiences the best in the world? I I think uh, it has to do with that. They they like a drink. Uh, they're generally not driving. They've got good. Um, well, no, it's true. If you've got good uh, if you've got good transport links, it means you can really loosen up on a night out, and you don't have to worry about. Plug in the meter of your car. Um, just a lot of little things have made them uh, really good at watching stand-up. Uh, the fact that, uh, I mean, there, there's some great comedy clubs in England, but uh, every pub has a function room, so it kind of came up through that, and the circuit got really strong because it could be it could take place in, in any pub and away from the throng of the crowd. You could get 50 people in the back of the pub uh, and... Uh, yeah, I think it's all, uh, you know, and they they just grow up with more of a, I mean, watching pantomime as a young child, you know, they grow up with more... Uh, uh, more it's a form of British theatre, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they, they grow up with a stronger uh, understanding of what it's like to be in a crowd and how you behave. Well, how do you behave? Because I've seen some pantos and there's a lot of yelling at the people on the stage, it's correcting like, it's, them, It's perhaps. like Yiddish theater. You're getting it wrong. He's behind yeah, you. Yeah, but it's those Yiddish are... Yiddish theater, man, same thing. But, I mean, that's not a that's not a behavior we want to encourage no, when one is watching <laughs> comedy. They're, they're, they're children. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but, Actually, I mean, there are hecklers as well that pop up and yeah invariably you know, I heard they? I heard the best heckle I've ever heard in my life uh just in Sydney Australia the other the other week all right uh, a, a comedian was uh interacting with um some uh there was a young kid in the crowd or a young guy and he he, he just looked young but it, it it transpired the kid was like 16 or 17 years old and it was kind of a like a later show and the the guy, the comic was sort of back and forthing with him, like, what are you doing out? You, you masturbator, you should be delivering newspapers or whatever the hell he was, he was on about. And um, he, uh, so there'd been a back and forth. Uh, and then uh, the comedian uh, finishes his show and uh, he walks off stage and um, MC gets up and he uh Goes to the kid, he goes, so what'd you think about that? He goes, I hated that comedian more than I hate myself. (laughs) (laughs) Almost as bad as the death heckle. (laughs) What's the best heckle you ever got? You remember? Uh, Is it a noteworthy heckle? uh, Yeah, I don't know, man. No, nothing. The moment where you thought, damn, he got me. Or she got me. Oh, that was a good one. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. In context, it's a, like you'd have to see the bit. But I, I remember uh, it was a. It just happened recently. Um, I I lost to a heckler in uh, in Geneva. I couldn't believe it. Like Geneva. he was absolute. The guy was an absolute dickhead. Uh, and I had like I just I uh, <laughs> I, I was too loose. I was like. 
I was like Rocky after he was famous. You oh, know? No. I, wasn't, I wasn't ready for the fight. I started playing around with him, and I just I left a I left a hole open in it, and uh, he went through and got like a round of applause and everything. Aww. And I was like, oh, you What was it? You don't know what it is? It's, no, Swiss hackle. Swiss hackle. Uh, no, he was Scottish. Uh, he was a Scottish guy that lived in uh, Geneva. That's but, the problem. Uh, no, he, like contextually, you'd have to know the whole joke ah, of okay. over what he said. But you know, it was just—I just couldn't believe it. And then he was—he was dining out on it all night, like coming up <laughs> to me and like, like the whole show had gone great. Uh, but yeah, I just had to then then be the idiot in the bar, going, "Yes, yes, you did, you did it, you did it. Okay, you did it." So we did it. That was Glenn Wool. It only took us ten years. Uh, that was. I meant two years. That was Sorry. so fun. Yeah, like almost. It felt like ten years. Um, Glenn Wool. Oh God, go see him. I believe he'll be performing uh, at the Edinburgh Festival uh, this uh, you know summer again. Well, so he's in August, Edinburgh, in, right? In August. Uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, he's he's great. He can talk, uh, and luckily so can we. So we'll link to Glenville's website on our Facebook page. Yeah. Uh, and our Facebook page is facebook.com slash Amsterdam Comedy Podcast. Right. If you like the show, uh, do leave a comment and please uh, let a, give a review on, on iTunes. Uh, Facebook. Yeah, there you go. Uh, and, and more people will hear of our show. And maybe uh, we can do uh, more interviews. And then, like, make more money. Because we would like this to be turned into a... It's super fun for us, but yeah, we're grown-ups. And our sponsor today is no one. Right. In, in, insert your name here. If you would like to become our sponsor, just for God's sakes, just talk to us on Facebook. We, yeah. we will respond immediately. Our theme music is Bugga Blue. That's right. the U.S. Army Swing Band. Thanks for that. And that's it. Until next time, I'm Jonathan. I'm Gregory. Thanks for listening. Bye. It's the place for podcasts.